Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Becky Shrimpton, an actor, writer, and podcaster you might know as the producer and host of Hollywood Suites' A Year in Film podcast, which explores a given year in cinema, two movies at a time. It's a lot of fun. I've done it a couple of times, and I've got another episode coming up later this year where we talk about two key films from 1999. Becky's also one of the dozen or so critics and programmers who appear in Hollywood Suites' new documentary series, Cinema A to Z, where a given topic is explored through every letter of the alphabet. The first episode, Books, is streaming free right now at hollywoodsuite.ca. I'm in it too. Becky picked The Devil at Your Heels, a 1981 National Film Board documentary by Robert Fortier about the daredevil stuntman Ken Carter and his obsession with jumping a car across the St. Lawrence River from Canada to the U.S., a distance of more than a mile. The stunt required years of prep, the construction of a massive ramp, the retrofitting of a Lincoln Continental with literal rockets, and, of course, a considerable risk of life and limb. But Ken Carter, as we see, doesn't want to think about that last thing. It's possible that he literally can't and his state of mind becomes a key element of Fortier's fascinating documentary. This is someone else's movie. I don't want to say this out loud because I know someone will call me on it, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway. I think I might be one of the foremost Ken Carter experts at this point. I don't know, but I haven't challenged myself, but I I think I might be. There can't be that many left. (laughs) There is a website where they are like collecting all of his memorabilia where they have stuff that I've I'd never seen before they of course own pieces of all of the cars including the car he passed away in um they have been uh, collecting pieces. all this stuff pieces of the car pieces yeah they've got well um Robert Fortier has a piece of the car too I interviewed him and when we were on the the Zoom call he's like what do you think this is and I was like that's a piece of the car <laughs> and I had a little panic moment ah! Yeah, so that was something. But but uh, yeah, these guys have are collecting media that they're just finding it from all these different sources. And there's one on YouTube where he's getting hypnotized right before the actual St. Lawrence jump to get over his issues so that he can do it, get over his fears, we can do it. And I think it was like the third attempt that didn't go was right. when he was being hypnotized. But they've got that on YouTube now, including like all of the ads from the time. And yeah, he's getting hypnotized on live radio. It's nuts on radio amazing um so yeah well we can get into all of it and we absolutely will but we always start the same way so what made you choose the filming shows why the devil at your heels oh norm oh norm now ask someone who loves movies hey what movie do you want to pick here is the broad expanse of film history and you're just like (laughs) oh my god there's an existential crisis inside of me and i knew for me it needed to be something canadian because i'm extremely passionate about canadian film and i actually went back and forth between this and anything by Sarah Pauly, because I'm extremely passionate about Sarah Pauly films. But when I started talking to my husband about it, I was like, "Uh, but then this happens and this happens. And I just, he's like, you got the excited face. You got to do Ken Carter. And I was like, we're talking about Devil at Your Heels. That's the one. (laughs) Sarah Pauly, Ken Carter, they're both famous around the early 80s. There we go. Uh... (laughs) Exactly. Both of them had fascinating careers that started when they were young and ended up in, you know, places I'm sure they didn't think they were going to end up. And yeah, just weird and exciting and bringing attention to Canada in interesting ways. And very different ways. Um, That is correct. It's funny, actually, it wasn't, turns out it wasn't Ken Carter, it was Kenny Powers. But I first experienced this story on Faces of Death on a video uh, towards like the third or fourth volume. It showed up, I was, I was working in a jumbo video in 1987 and the tapes came in by mistake. This was back at a time when in Ontario, you could not own 
censored material. You couldn't physically, like David Cronenberg could not have a finished print of The Brood, mm -hmm. a complete print of The Brood because of the 45 seconds that the theater's branch cut. So he had to store the masters in, like the negatives and everything were in Quebec somewhere. Of and course. if he wanted them in Ontario, he had to make a special request through the government's to get them and, and cut them and work on them, whatever it was. Or I think maybe it was in the early 80s when they were setting up repertory screenings, he actually had to have them shipped from Quebec and it was a whole authorization process that it wouldn't even travel into Ontario space wow. uh, on its way to New York or wherever. But um, but Faces of Death was one of the tapes. A, a bunch of stuff was shipped in. They were sending us VHS tapes for our stock from all around the country, all the other jumbo videos. And so we got this box after box after box and then gradually it's like oh this is the original cut of reanimator and this is day of the dead and we shouldn't have these but i'm goddamn not telling anybody <laughs> uh, so we never put them out for rent but we had them all we had and a couple of the faces of death tapes came in and of course the first thing you put on in this in the studio or the first thing you put on in the store are the faces of death movies when everybody's just it's late at night and we're all just doing inventory and that was the first time i saw Ken Carter's rocket car because it's included. The faces of death tapes were running out of energy. Like they, I think they'd run out of death. Uh, <laughs> and they just had to be like, here's a horrible tragedy that nearly killed a man. Well, in yeah, the they were way. like, yeah. this is, you know, faces of near missing. Um, but it was you know, like, people don't remember a time when footage was hard to come by, yeah. but you know, there was no viral anything. There was, this was decades before the internet made it possible to share clips. And so the Faces of Death guys were just running around getting 16 millimeter footage of animal atrocities. They're really horrible, exploitative. You know, like I was a dumb kid then to what to thought these were worth watching. I really just should have been watching Day of the Dead in the uncut version <laughs> over and over, which I also did. But um, but there is, yeah, it's not Ken Carter, it's Kenny Powers. And it's just the clips from, as it turned out, from The Devil at Your Heels uh, that they had, I don't even know if it was legal or not, that they had just It wasn't legal, in. no. I talked to Robert Fortier and he's like, yeah, that was totally usurped. <laughs> and, and he has a big issue too, because for him, Devil at Your Heels is a movie about hope. And it's actually the first three quarters of the movie you should be focusing on instead of the last little bit, which is what most people focus on. Of course. And uh, yeah, he won't even, like uh, when he's talked to people who have archival footage of his later, uh, the incident that later killed him and whatnot, he's like, do you want to see this? He's like, no, why would, number one, why would I want to watch my friend die? Number two, like that's not what for me this story is about. It's a story about a man chasing his dream, which, you know, it's very Don Quixote. If you're into that, go for it, right? Yeah. I mean, the last frames of the film are a little super that say Ken Carter is still going to do the jump. And it's sort of nice that it ends there because, you know, that's what would kill him in the end. It was, it was this passion. Um, and I do find the film fascinating in that it is endlessly compassionate to the man in front of the camera who doesn't have like a fraction of the self-awareness that the camera has. It's, it's just, it's not condescending to him. This isn't a movie that just goes bless. Um, you know, good for you. Keep on swinging. Way to go car man. And there are <laughs> like, there are plenty of other movies that do that. Uh, like American movie or, or Winnebago man where they're actively hoping the guy has a, a an episode in front of the camera, but 48 really does try right to frame him in a compassionate way and not make it a not make the movie a freak show and yeah. i didn't i did not remember that 
the last Fortier time I saw him. was his buddy, right? Like they were genuine friends. And actually he helped him set up his original stunt that it was going to be for the, the, he knew he needed one big last stunt that was going to be all anybody talked about. It was going to end Evil Knievel. It was all going to be Ken Carter, right? <laughs> um, and so what he originally pitched to him was what if you jump the Houston Astrodome, like inside from one side to the other in one of these rocket cars. And he was like, well, that sounds like a great idea. And so he was originally planning that. And then he came up with the idea of the St. Lawrence River. And that was just like, where did you get that idea from? And of course, he's someone who surrounds himself with yes men, as you see in the movie. Like mm -hmm. everyone is there 100% for his dream. And the one thing I do wish you saw more of was the women in his life and his family talking about it. You never actually get to see his family talking about it. And there's one point in the movie where they are actively discussing his potential death in front of his children. And <laughs> nobody is faced by this. Like, it's like, oh, this happens every day. This is wild to me. Yeah. Just the idea that this is a functioning family unit that has braced itself for him to just not be there yeah. for so long that it's become normal, that they've internalized this thing. I, I've, I couldn't find any material about how the family responded to his death other than just the general sense in the newspaper coverage that, well, that's what he knew he wanted to do. He went the way he wanted to go, stupidly and unnecessarily. Um, and I just, how do you crash so many times and decide to escalate? Like, it's just, it's so fascinating. And Fortier's organization, like he's going in chronological order through through Carter's life, but he is also very clearly, and this is where he broke these bones, and this is where this vertebra was crushed, and here's a car landing upside down, and that probably shouldn't, couldn't have walked away from that, but look at him. It's like, yeah, no, this guy is, I don't think, I don't think Ken Carter had a death wish. No. But I think, <laughs> I think there is probably something else that's amiss with a person who does that without a death wish. Like, I, I genuinely believe Tom Cruise wants this to all be over on some level. And that's why, <laughs> that's why he continues. Like this is a guy who's been indoctrinated into a cult. Some part of him, I suspect wants out. Yeah. And this is the way he can legitimately do that. And whether he's trying to get out of the cult or whether he's just trying to make it all go away. I, I do think we're going to, someone else did say it. I wish I I've been the one to come up with it, but it's like Tom Cruise's last film is going to be the first IMAX snuff movie yeah. where, where you watch the thing that happened happen. Um, but Ken Carter genuinely over and over and over blows past the idea of consequence. And yeah. I find that absolutely riveting to just watch this guy go, Oh, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump this. And he's got this incredible radio announcer voice that he's trained himself into. Like it is so completely phony, but he lives it 24 seven. So it is real. Like he's a Vonnegut character. You are what you pretend to be. hundred percent. And the way he talks, like one of the reasons I love this movie so much is I hear something new every time I watch it. And I've seen <laughs> it like 40 times. Like the last time I watched it, he's on the phone discussing the potential, his potential to be an astronaut. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? And it happens for like five seconds, but he's just making things up as he goes along. But you, it's so quick, you have to catch it. He's like, well, you know, we're going to land exactly approximately at this place. And you're just like, you just double negative yourself. Like, yeah. that was nuts. And yeah, all the little things he says. But I think the biggest thing is that he's so proud of how far he's come. And one of the things you show in the they show in the documentary is, like, he takes you on a tour of his house where, like, they used to fight to see out the window, which is right. another fantastic line. Absolutely um, horseshit. 
totally a hundred percent but you know he's there to like show you the dream um but you you see him kind of go through all of this and you're like oh you you wanted to be someone and you were someone who knew you could be someone i mean he he didn't he just graduated elementary school he has no junior high or high school education but he's built this business for himself like he employs many people he has two homes it appears i mean shared pool but still that's pretty good um (laughs) And so you're like, okay, no, you have made something of yourself. And the whole point of this is that he wants to outdo Evil Knievel. And so when Evil Knievel shows up, and which is also another like, I'm sorry, Evil Knievel shows up moment yeah. in this film. Um, he just, it, it breaks his heart. And you just see him when he's watching do, him do the Wide world, world of Sports announcement where he's lounging on the bulldozers as only Evil Knievel can. And he's like, he can't do this. This is suicide. I mean, he's not wrong. This is suicide. He cannot jump a a car a mile. But you just see him go. That just fuels him even more of like, he said, I can't do it. Watch me do it. You know, and there's I think that's what people dig into when they when they're proud of him in this film is that there is that like you say, I can't do it. I'm going to do it. It's the Ayn Rand. It's not uh, who's going to let me. It's who's going to stop me. Right. Yeah. And the the sense, too, that the simple fact that he is still walking means anything is possible, which again, that's not how that works, but it is <laughs> so fascinating to watch someone just refuse to go the extra mile of, oh yeah, no, I should stop while I'm alive. It's no, as long as I'm alive, I'm not going to stop. And his patter becomes, you're right. You're exactly right. He is cocking, He's talking himself into it as he goes every step of the way, but he also truly believes, I think, that that the thing he wants to do is achievable. He just hasn't figured out how yet. And the problem with that is he keeps trying before it's ready. Like before you have the answer is not when you strap the explosives on. You you wait and you figure it out. I mean, there's that early shot, the first test that they show in the film, which again, structurally, beautifully just done. They kind of constantly dropping in these tests that are not going to work um, to just demonstrate that he's working on it. Like he has a crew and they're trying to fix this thing. And then, and Gordon Pinsent is such a perfect choice of narrator oh, too. Because, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. That, it's that relaxed CBC voice. It's not like it's not stentorian or or uh, authoritative enough. It's just the crew will not work any further until they are paid twenty seven thousand dollars. It's like yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's completely reasonable from here. <laughs> Did you not find sometimes it gets like a little too mean? Like, for example, uh, when they when they lose all of their safety supplies and they, he's talking about who's now left over. And it's like yes. it's you guys and a boat and, and a, a rubber boat tow truck. And the yeah, kid yeah. is getting pretty bored, you know. And then they make the weight comment about the guys are like that. And they're having heavy meetings. They show that like Jim Deist and you're like, oh, that's a little too mean, guys. <laughs> um, and because it's so dry, it's so perfect. But that's also such an NFB technique mm-hmm. that I think at the time people didn't react well to it and people didn't, but there was like, Oh, it's another, you know, national film board thing. You're going to throw this thing on whatever. And and this didn't do well. It got like a cult following in Australia, but everyone was like, Oh, it's too documentary. And I'm like, have you seen this? Like, but there's also the ubiquitousness of stunt people in the seventies, which we don't really have now in that same way. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. He would have just been a hanger on at the time. Right. Or a wannabe because he didn't achieve the way, say, Evil Knievel did, or, or I mean, Dar Robinson is the guy who did the CN Tower jump for a twice. movie. Twice. He yeah, did it yeah. twice for a terrible movie. Yeah. For a movie. Well, that's it, right? For a movie that nobody remembers because it was a Canadian tax shelter picture that really only is remembered because it's the movie Dar Robinson made the jump in, and who remembers that? Yeah. But it is fascinating to watch this 
entire subculture, which no longer exists and which, you know, we can, we can get to the Kenny powers of Eastbound and down, but it's so clearly like this was Danny McBride's favorite movie as a teenager. There is no question that this is how he discovered it. Although it's also entirely possible that the young Danny McBride found it through faces of death, just like I did, but you can see the, the pageantry and the fervence of the fans. Like this is a movie that if you see it at the right point in time, it will inspire you or it will break you and you'll never recover. And Ken Carter wants to be that star. Like he wants to be the star of that movie. I don't doubt that he looked at this film and thought, yep, that's pretty much me. And it's not like he looks good in it, but you get the portrait of this, like it's so hard to, to rationalize it, to bring it into words, but you can watch this and see a man who is dooming himself in every step to this, that this is absolutely going to kill him. Or you can see this guy who's a hero to everyone around him because there's not a single negative voice in the picture, right? They're all incredibly supportive. The narrator maybe has some, <laughs> some, some qualms. <laughs> One or two things to say. And the yeah. filmmaker, too, in the moment where he's getting into the speed suit of a man who is like a quarter of his size and you're watching him struggle into this thing and you're like, is this necessary? Very funny, but not necessary. Yeah, that remarkable passive-aggressive Canadian lens Yeah, where it's like, oh, buddy, <laughs> I don't know you want to do that, but, um, but we're not going to stop him because... Yeah. He's, he's doing what he wants to do. And there's this strange integrity to someone who has no, um, he doesn't have this, he's like an elevator with no safeties on. He's going to go yes. straight to the bottom and he thinks he's going up. He's not delusional exactly. And it's this amazing psychological text. The more times you watch it, the more it reveals about a guy who, I mean, it's a, it's a facile connection now, but in another life, he's a real estate mogul in New York, right? Like he's, he's the president of the United States in 2016. If you don't believe you can fail and everyone around you is saying, ah, you'll be fine. I get paid either way. Then what happens? And what happens is sometimes you build a rocket car and somebody else almost gets killed in it. And sometimes they make movies about you anyway. Yeah. Well, I showed this to my mom uh, because at Christmas time, I make her sit down and watch something because I'm a terrible daughter. But she she cannot handle cringe. Like, cringe is not her thing. And so we make it about a quarter of the way through. And she's like, Becky, I don't know if I can do it. I'm like, you have to trust me. Please continue. So she did because she's great. And we, as we're like almost approaching the end, she's like, he doesn't do it, does he? Did he do it? Right? And she's like going for her phone to look it up. And I'm like, mom, mom, just let it happen. Just let it happen. But, um, but even she was kind of caught up in the spell because you're like watching and things do progress, right? Like you're watching the, the yeah. ramp get built and you're like, okay, now they've got these guys from Chicago who are going to build these like perfect jets and they've done it for thousands of other cars. And um, But the thing that just keeps breaking that is number one, everything goes wrong that possibly can go wrong. And number two, he keeps revealing things about himself that you're like, so why are you doing this? Like when he reveals near the end, he can't swim yeah. when he has never been over 90 miles an hour and he has to go over 280 to achieve this jump and you're just like what are you doing like it's wild the the delusion um but also there again it's this weird admirable thing about it where you're just like you are going for this and it's gonna take you down it's it's so complicated it's such a complicated feeling i have about this film and i think that's why i keep watching it because i just he's an enigma it's fascinating yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves a dreamer. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, if, if that was the poster design, I think you could put that out right now. Um, but watching him 
be unflapped by every single setback, by the people who tell him the physics don't work, by the people who, what's the, oh, it's it's not, again, it's not Ken, it's Kenny who says at one point, you know, they get off the, you, you guys want to get off the ramp, you don't want tire tracks on you. It's like, you, that's, I get it, that's bravado, like he's just peacocking or roostering or whatever you want to call it to get to, to assert his, you know, how, how fine he's going to be no matter what happens. But look at this goddamn ramp. It points straight <laughs> up. You're not going to cross anything. Yeah. And then that's like this this fundamental flaw that goes all the way back to the first pencil sketch where clearly Ken did it wrong and no one corrected him because they all assumed, well, he keeps doing this. He must know what he's doing. And like, I think the difference about between 1970 whenever and now is that you would have OSHA, like you would have someone come in and shut it down because it's just not safe. But this was a time where, yeah, as you say, stunt culture, stuntman culture was at such a place where all of America would tune in to watch a guy fire a rocket over Snake River Canyon. Um, and only a small percentage of them were hoping he would die. Like people genuinely rooted for these guys. And it's such a strange place to be in now where we're at a, like a David Blaine level of stunt magic 20 years ago where, oh, he's in a glass block for a day or a week or a month and he's just going to sit there. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, the first indication that this was something special is that um, Robert Fortier's first short film, so it's kind of considered a trilogy. So the first film is The Mad Canadian, which is like mm -hmm. a little 10-minute short for the NFB. And that one is the Halifax jump that the movie here starts with, where he crashes. But he has a bunch of footage from the audience, and he asks people what they're hoping to see. And one guy literally says, well, I think I'm going to see a man break his neck. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? Then why are you here? But there are also people who are like, I want to be, I want to see something I've never seen before. Um, and even Ken Carter later, when he talks about people going over Niagara Falls in a wheelbarrow, he says, you tune in for the things you don't get to see every day. If somebody dies, I don't think I would want to watch it anymore. And I think that's the other thing that killed, if you will, pardon me, killed the stuntman is that, um, you, you, it was getting to a point where people were going to start dying and wide world of sports was going to be televising active deaths. And it was like, how far really can you take this? Like snake river, I think really was the end of this. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to see the mangled daredevils being dragged to safety. They want to see the, like the astronaut emerging from the capsule. They want to see the triumph. Well, and, and even then we don't talk about it. There's a 2018 movie um, called the stunt, called stunt man, which was, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson was the executive producer on it about, um, it's on Disney Plus about the, uh, the a guy, a stuntman in Hollywood who's been working forever, uh, Eddie Braun, who did the Snake River Camion jump. It's about him recreating it, and he did it. He actually took a Calgarian's ashes with him, too. Um, yeah, so it's like, but you haven't heard of it, and you were in no. the film. So I, it's wow. interesting that, yeah, we just don't talk about this anymore, but he did the Snake Canyon jump. I wonder if it's an outgrowth of that panic of, you know, like, uh, what was it when... Um, the reason they didn't let the Human Torch be part of the animated Fantastic Four series is because they were convinced impressionable children would set themselves on fire. <laughs> um, that's it. We just don't want emulation. Or maybe there was one story, like a, an urban legend of the kid that tried to do an evil Knievel and died. And yeah. so we can't do it anymore. But I just assume it's an insurance liability, right? As soon as corporations started buying up all the television networks, they, yeah, they realized we can't show this. You can't put this on television. I mean, now you certainly could. I, I think... You know, if Netflix or Amazon decided they wanted to do an hour-long special about the most noble deaths imaginable, like stuntmen and and uh, and gags that didn't work, there's probably oh god, just now I'm thinking about the Rust lawsuits and the footage that people are going to want to see. It's 
it is this horrible, morbid fascination. It's the reason we put Faces of Death on a Jumbo video because, yeah. you know, you, you're never going to see this anywhere else and you've never seen it before. But this, and I, yeah, and I was struck too that Ken Carter says full on, I don't want to see anybody die. Yeah. Uh, when he is literally trying to kill himself on a regular basis for an audience, except that he doesn't ever think it'll happen, right? Like he, if he had to confront someone else dying, maybe that would ruin it, break the spell for him and he'd have to stop. Because I'm getting the impression that his friends, and I don't know this for sure, but at no point does he talk about any of his friends dying doing incidents. People are horribly injured, but no one dies. And I'm wondering if the more often you escape death, the more often you are convinced you're invincible, right? Like, it's certainly like, possible. Yeah, I've never died before. And so I'm, I did it before. I'll do it again. Uh, also, spinal injury care doesn't appear to exist because when they're taking Kenny Powers out of the oh, car and you're God, like, I know. <gasps> like, it's just shocking. You're like, don't pick him you, up by the head. Doing it's nuts, and then you find out he's broken like seven vertebrae and yeah. his ribs, and he's on the ground, and he's like sheet white, and you're like, oh boy, yeah, yeah. wild. I, but there's also something so pure and childlike in the way that he handles it, which is just to say out a lot. Yeah, like he's not screaming, he's not crying, he's not doing any of the things you would expect someone that badly injured to do. And I assume he's just in shock, but he has such a naive kind of response to catastrophic injury. <laughs> That you get it, right? Like, he's not performing that for the cameras. That is really what he's feeling. And it's just, I had, that's true. I'd never seen anything like it. And it is sort of fascinating. Well, when you look at, I mean, even just from a filmmaking point of view, number one, this movie took five years to make, which when I asked Robert Fortier about how he kept getting funding for this, he just had to keep convincing the NFB, he's going to jump. This is the year he's going to jump, right? And they were like, yeah, yeah, 100%. This is the year he's going to jump. So there was that. But also, you think he's sitting, he's got these cameras exactly the right place, exactly the right time. There was supposed to be a camera in the car with Kenny Powers, but Kenny went too fast, and so they couldn't change the battery, so that oh. camera didn't go. So there was supposed to be something on him. So you would have been able to see what actually happened. But uh, but yeah, just uh, the filmmaking of this is incredible to me and monumental that you can spend this much time with a subject and create this. It's only an hour and a half. Like, it's crazy brisk. But the story is so clear and so comprehensive. I mean, it's a feat of editing. It's very impressive. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to tell you about the new Shiny Things newsletter, my weekly dispatch about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming thing. This week, I wrote about Arrow's 4K release of Flatliners, one of the most 90s movies ever made, and how Dan Trachtenberg's Prey does what every good Predator movie ought to do, start from scratch. Subscribe for the price of a latte at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. It's me. I'm writing about movies again. Come check it out. Did 48 tell you how long it took to cut? Like how long he worked in the edit? Uh, I think they went as they went along, which is kind of wild to me. But yeah, it's it took a long time. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. It's incredibly easy to follow, even with the, the timeline moving back and forth with the, the cuts to the tests. Because, again, Ken Carter doesn't really change. Right. Like it's easy to tell where he is by location, but he's and the goatee, I suppose. Yeah. That, that, like the facial does. hair is really the only indicator you got. But it's such a strange. He doesn't. I mean, the, the narration does all the work to build tension. You know, money is well, there is no more money. He's in a he's in a meeting. He's not here. He's in Ottawa in a meeting with the, with the money guys who are done with him. 
uh, so done, obviously, that they weren't even allowing cameras into the room for the first time. It's like, you know, you don't want to be here for this, uh, which is an incredible missed opportunity, I guess, in terms of what you could have. But I think it would also be the thing that breaks the movie. If you could see him and he wasn't in any way registering what was going on, then it would look like mania. Yeah. And if it was, guys, please give me another chance. Here's here's my, you know, way, my wedding ring. Here's what, like if he starts to hawk things, then it's too desperate. So having us not see him at that point is probably the thing that saved the movie, I think, because, well, that and the fact that Kenny is off stealing his jump and destroying his car, <laughs> which, again, it's a miracle. Like, it's miraculous. that, that And I'm, I'm sure, too, 48 doesn't have a crew with Ken Carter. He just told them not to come. And Oh, no, this story actually gets complicated. So oh, really? I figured they just picked up the shot after the fact. No, 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 no. Here's where it gets weird. So there's obviously it's controversial on why Kenny did the jump and not Ken. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jonathan Goldstein on his show Heavyweight actually interviewed Kenny Powers' widow. And she said it was she, – she, she won't say it out loud, but she insinuates that the Montreal mob had something to do with the funding, which construction in Montreal in what the are 70s. The odds? Exactly. And that <laughs> Kenny had a lot of gambling debts and that um, they were pretty sure Ken had lost his nerve and he wasn't going to do it. So they distracted Ken and they, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then they had Kenny do it, which is one of the reasons why Ken, Kenny wants to do it as fast as he can because he has to do it, right? So th- that's kind of option one and that's what he, uh, Kenny's widow says. What's weird about uh, What's weird about that is that Kenny Powers had a autographed 8 by 10 of Ken Carter held in a beautifully made leather folder with him every day until the day he died, which is like, okay. And they were best friends again afterwards. So one of the other theories is that Kenny did the jump because Ken had lost his nerve and he did it for love. And he was like, okay, well, someone has to do this jump. I'm just going to take one for the team. And so Ken pretended to be distracted and he's pretending to be mad. And that's what that is. Now, Robert Fortier says both of that is bull. Okay. What he says is that um, the jump was done because of the Hollywood film crew. The Hollywood film crew had a deadline and that they had to like film for Japanese TV or something and someone had to do the jump and they were pretty sure Ken wasn't going to do it. So they're the ones that called the investors and said, you need to have a meeting with Ken. And they set up a bunch of stuff with him about, yeah, yeah, we're going to get in Japan. You're going to tour Europe. So they were distracting him with that when they sent Kenny off. And so they actually contacted Robert Fortier because they had two cameras and he had eight. And they were like, we need you to come get B-roll for us. And he was (laughs) like, no, he's my buddy. I'm not doing this what are you guys doing and they were like well it's happening with or without you so get down here we're doing it and he didn't have enough time to get to ken first and say this is happening it was basically get the shots of this happening or go and inform your best buddy that his jump is being stolen and so he ran and got the footage of it but that's also why you're seeing it happen as fast as it can because they're on that deadline and it's got to go so that's what he says happened my god all of those explanations are equally plausible i know that's how wild the story gets by the end of it any of those things or all of those things could be true. And he's just so surrounded by all these hucksters and yes men and people who clearly cannot do the job, even though they're very confident they can do the job. And you you don't know what's true. You don't because everyone's so confident in this movie until they leave and go back to Chicago because the engine exploded for the sixth time, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that should have been, you know, the clue that this wasn't <laughs> going to work. Just yes. there's, there's that moment where the, the first on the day, like the first abort, when it's like there's something wrong, I'm, I'm you know, like they're terrified. They're not, 
Like this isn't a fun thing to do anymore. Everybody has lost whatever illusions they had about adventure or childish um, expectations of success and heroism. Like nobody's getting fortune and glory out of this. They're going to die uh, or at the very best get very badly hurt. And so, yeah, if Ken is there, maybe they eat him. Like maybe they turn on him with his, with the irrepressible enthusiasm that is no longer functional. I just, I just can't get past the perfection of the structure, right? Like there's, there's, everything is accounted for, even if there are three different explanations for why something is happening on the day, we see everything we need to see. And that's kind of incredible. It's remarkable. So if you do want to see more, now I do have to be very clear that this has the footage of the jump in which he dies. So if you don't want to do this, yeah, if you don't want to see it, you can't, you, they, you know it's coming so you can jump over it. Um, but uh, Chex in Peterborough, C-H-E-X, uh, actually did a tribute to him in 2013 called Ken Carter, Stuntman to the End. It's about 25 minutes. Graham Hart hosts it. Um, and it talks about the aftermath of this, of him working back up to doing the jump again. And then, of course, he passes away really horribly. But um, what's interesting about it is that in the run-up to it, he does another jump, which is over a replica of Caesar's Palace's fountain filled with reptiles, including a single alligator and a couple of snakes. And I'm just like, I love this. It's magnificent. But yeah, so it, that is available on YouTube. But as I said, that does have the footage of him dying in it. So if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But yeah, you can jump over it. It's, I jumped over it literally you can you can kind of see it right so So, yeah there's an afterword oh man how so how long have you been part of this fandom when did you first discover the movie i i don't i don't totally remember but what i think i think is i lived on commercial drive with uh two stand-up comedians uh one of them actually mark little uh who is of some note now um with an incontinent corgi and at three o'clock in the morning when we were all drunk and or high and or various states of whatever because uh, that's what you do on commercial drive when you're in your 20s and uh we would just put in like weird movies we would find at this amazing video store around the corner and i'm pretty sure this was part of that collection that we all watched it more like holy shit what is this and that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of other nfb shows where i I was like, what is this? So like um, <laughs> High Grass Circus, if you haven't seen this, it's about a traveling circus through like Saskatchewan and like somewhere in Saskatchewan, there is a hippo buried by the side of the road, just so you know. But, <laughs> I was like, not aware of this. <laughs> now, you know, people like are leaving in the middle of the night to like just scamper away from this circus and like it's just the life of these these traveling carnival people. <laughs> fascinating totally worth your time there's the defender which another like doofus with a dream as i call the movie about someone from winnipeg he's still doing it like amazing uh he is determined to bring back the um bomber plane building to canada like that's what he wants to do is he wants to build jet planes so it's him trying to reconstruct these planes when he that's not something he can do but the movie opens with him having built a swimming pool in the middle of his living room because he and his kids got hot one day. And that's the kind <laughs> that's the kind of guy you're dealing with. I mean, he's it's amazing, it's wonderful, very very similar to this documentary. So if you're a fan of that, and I mean of course like um uh, Project Grizzly is another one, another sure, one that yeah. ended horribly tra- tragically and very sad, but like another portrait of this incredible human being, this inventor and you know, watching him get beaten up with by bikers outside a club in this armor. You're just like what am I watching? The Ewok traps, you know, like, yeah. Well, that just, was the thing that, that was the thing that did occur to me watching this is like, this guy 
is Troy Herdebees. Yes, yes, yes. Taking, yes. taking the log to the chest in his armor to prove that he can take a log to the chest. Yes, you're proving you can take a log to the chest. At no point is a bear going <laughs> to throw one at you. Exactly. It's the, the hyper-focus on the ridiculous part, the, like, the thing that isn't going to be a factor. Like, yes, you have created a jet fuel that burns faster than most jet fuels. Is that going to help? <laughs> exactly. What does that do? Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And I, I think that's what I love. I think I love the enthusiasm. I'm an enthusiastic person, as you can hear. And I think I appreciate seeing that in other people. But I think I also really like asking the question, why? <laughs> you know, that's what's so interesting to me. If you pointed them, there's a line I love in this that I use all the time uh, is you cannot, it cannot be steered. It can only be aimed like a missile. And I right. think that's the perfect example of what Ken Carter is as well, but also of these people. Like if you aimed them in the, that enthusiasm in the right direction with the right skills, what th could they actually accomplish? I still don't know. <laughs> exactly. Why? <laughs> <laughs> this is something that too that um, uh, I want to get the director's name right. Yes. Sorry. This is the thing that this is what John Bolton, I think, was getting at when he made Aim for the Roses, which yes. I, I know you've seen. Um, that was a, just a delight when I stumbled onto it in, in a big pile of hot dog screeners back in like, 2016. Um I didn't know the album existed. I knew Ken Carter's story, but I didn't realize someone had made a concept album about it. Entirely and, for bass, which is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's as ludicrous a challenge to set for oneself, right? In a way, but it actually works. And you, you have completed art. Like you have finished the thing. He did the jump in his own way. Um, <laughs> and the film is so charmingly straight-faced about what it's doing and the person they got to play Carter uh, and lip-sync the dialogue or the lyrics, I suppose, uh, from the album, from Marquini's album, is just on point. Like, he's, he is exactly the same level of ridiculous that the real Ken Carter is with the same complete lack of self-awareness. He, the actor must know like that's what I was thinking watching Game for the Roses. Like this guy knows it looks ridiculous, but that's part of the bit. And then you watch the real Ken Carter. It's like, no, he had no idea. He really didn't know. No, and you see that translated. We talked earlier about Kenny Power. And of course, this is another point of contention where like 100% Danny McBride saw Kenny Power at some yeah. point he saw this movie or he saw him in one of his other stunts or something um that is something he will not respond to uh for obvious reasons uh his widow actually did inquire about that and um and they actually he actually she actually watches it with her son on a regular basis that show because it reminds her so much of her her husband who's now gone um but yeah there's been no acknowledgement whatsoever that Kenny Powers is Kenny Powers so oh, that's yeah, yeah yeah life rights you can't do that Exactly. So that's a, that's a whole point of contention. But that's another thing of like you're seeing, and it's such a rare trait, I think, in an actor to be able to play that straight and not have that sense of ridiculousness and, and that wink to the audience, right? Yeah, it's a gift. The other thing I will say about Ken Carter is he never winked. Like he, yeah. he committed to the bit from the beginning to the end and to the point where I don't actually 
I don't know that we ever see the real Ken Carter. So you are seeing the real Ken Carter. I asked Robert Fortier about this because I said, was there ever a moment he was ever vulnerable or like any self-doubt? He said, nope, what you see is what you get. He was on 24-7. And this is interesting to me because there's an Alice Cooper quote that I absolutely love, which is there's Alice Cooper who bites the heads off of snakes and there's Alice Cooper who does his laundry. And that church and state didn't really happen here. However, he's still able to manage his business. Like he still he still thinks of himself as Kenneth Gordon Polachek and Ken Carter, um, and he still runs his business and he still does the booking for himself, but he really has created two personas that are just entirely bravado. Yeah, yeah, it's he projects. It's not even is it bravado or is it, he's projecting competence, right? Yes. Not confidence, but yeah, competence. competence. Yes, and good has call. and has none. Yeah, but. You know, if you if you say it long enough, you will be it, right? Like you you fake it till you make it, or until you die in a horrible disaster <laughs> of your own engineering. It's yeah. not funny. It's so tragic, but it actually it is like the meme. Like, oh, if it wasn't the completely foreseeable consequences of my own actions, he is on this trajectory. He is the missile he's aiming. He just doesn't understand it. Uh, for me, I love, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I watch a ton of movies like you do, Norm, and you kind of become numb to them at a certain point, unless there's something really special happening that grabs you by the emotions. And this movie makes me run through so many emotions, like you're laughing and then you're shocked and then you're just horrified and you're back down to laughing. Like it's, and of course he ends with this line of like, I'm going to teach the children like the Eagles do. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? Um, and, I think he meant Crosby, Stills, and Natch. I think I so. I think he's like, he's thinking of Teach Your Children Well from the song. Yeah. But in that moment, like I once, I once saw a briefing from someone who confidently told me to my face that he was very, very proud to have secured the rights to the People's Choice winner for TIFF in 2010, Rabbit Hole. Mm. And it, was, it wasn't Rabbit Hole. It was the King's Speech. But he bought Rabbit Hole. And so... That was the People's Choice winner. I'm not even sure it was a runner-up, but he was just like to my face, and it was like it was the King's speech. He's like, no, 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 rabbit hole, and <laughs> just blew past me. And that man was, I'm pretty sure, a sociopath. I don't think Ken Carter is, but no. I don't think Ken Carter has time to be corrected. Like he's just he is knitting his fabric together as he goes, and if he's thinking about the Eagles. They're the ones who sang the song. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he's just, if you pardon the pun, he is the most driven human being I think I've, up, I've seen. It's, up to it's, a point, yes. <laughs> totally. But the thing is, it's also about someone who, yeah, you're right, He the competence, because he is competent to a point. He would not have had the career he had. He, people knew who he was. People would come out to see him. Um, but he just bit off more than he could chew. Right. And that was the the knowing your limits sort of thing, which I think is the lesson of that movie is, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't, at the end of the day, it can't be done. Like the the person who holds the world record right now is from 2011 and he only jumped, I think, like 388 as opposed to the 4,500 that he actually would have needed to have done. Oh, you yeah. know, it's just wild. No, it's, um, I think it's the kind of thing we should tell Elon Musk about because it'll keep him busy <laughs> for a while. It'll just be distracting for him and he'll he'll get so wrapped up that he'll forget to tweet. He's going to go into rocket cars. Don't tell the man who manufactures cars <laughs> that he can't do it. My thanks to Becky Shrimpton, who you can hear on every episode of Hollywood Suites, A Year in Film podcast, and see, along with yours truly, on the channel's new documentary series, Cinema A to Z. The first episode is streaming free at hollywoodsuite.ca slash cinema dash a dash to dash z. 
Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did. You can find Becky on Twitter at Lishrimpton, L-E-S-H-R-I-M-P-T-O-N, and you can find The Devil at Your Heels on DVD from the National Film Board or streaming free online at both nfb.ca and the NFB's YouTube channel. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 46 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll like it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you enjoyed it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.